Alma, it's Zach Langley Chichi. I am so popular, and I am here with my third consecutive guest in person in a row. Who are you? Hi, I'm John Searle. Good to meet you. Hi, John Searle. What are you doing? I am a little drunk after watching a terrible movie. That's right. And yeah. why are we friends? Oh, man, we met uh, a little over two years ago now. Yep. We're on the JET program, and I don't know, our first movie experience i guess is kind of where our friendship kicked off yeah that was an iconic first movie experience because we watched like what the first two lone wolf and cub movies back to back that's right and most people aren't really into that kind of thing so no they're shocking they're like these um old school samurai movies kind of exploitation very violent death by cradle knives (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Very seventies, right? How else do people die in that? There's some good ones. Oh, and there was there was a part where like a person's face got ripped off with like some kind of chain weapon. Yeah. And like landed in the dirt, and we both took a shot for that because we got really drunk that night. Yeah. The rule was that every time something absurd happened, we took a shot. I believe. Yeah, and also it was like the most beautifully filmed violence I've like ever seen yeah. in the 70s. <laughs> it's absolutely gorgeous, right? It's uh, very clear why uh, Tarantino kind of picks up on that for his own movies. I mean, he references it directly in what, Kill Bill Volume 2? When, um, what's the girl's name? It's like Little B or something. <laughs> I don't know, 100% it's influenced, you know, yeah, the, those like... movies. Danny, can we watch Shogun Assassin? And he's Those like, it's too long, sweetie. And uh, Lady Snowblood even more. Oh, yeah. They didn't use the music from that one, which I don't know if you saw that one. I yet, haven't seen it yet, but I know you did. Definitely recommends on that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, John and I both um, live here in Nippon, and I'm very fortunate to have a friend who is so knowledgeable about horror movies and can also hold a drink down i feel very privileged about that it's few and far between with the foreigners out here you know yeah i do my best there's a lot of uh the weeaboos uh, more than a few you know yeah yeah it's it's been fun yeah um that night when we watched lone wolf and cub was very early into me getting here and i remember that was the first time i threw up in japan was that night because of all of those shots of what soju we were drinking soju that night yeah, yeah, that's right. A soju and oh, just a lot of beer, just I think. a lot of soju, a yeah. lot of beer. And um, I stumbled back to my apartment and then just spent like three hours just vomiting into the toilet. So thank you. Yeah, that, that stuff's a little too sneaky. Like, you know, it, it hits you like once for sure. Yeah, soju is uh, the devil's drink. I can hold down Nihonshu, all right? I don't think I've ever, like... It's uh, funny, because Nihonshu is way stronger, you know? Like, I also usually. just uh, recalled uh, your Nihonshu. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that stuff got me, but that's that was because it was too much, and it was free at the time. Yeah, if you don't mind me spilling the tea, you went to, like, a Nihonshu festival, right? I remember getting that call from you. It was, like... 11 p.m. and I was just about to go to Nagoya with some of my friends and uh, I just get a phone call from John who had woken up from his drunken stupor at the Nihonshu Festival. I was in trouble, wasn't I? Yeah. I I sent a message to like a group chat that was like, I think it said like help or something and then there were some nonsense words in there. Yeah. And then Christian, who was also the only one in my boat, I remember mm-hmm. he sent a, a message back that said, don't worry, John, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. 
Did they didn't they cancel that for COVID this year? I'm sure it's it's next month. Usually it's in November. Oh God, I want to go. And last year I didn't go either. It was two years ago, but I do remember that a lot of stupid things happened between ten the the hours of ten a.m. and two p.m. Yeah. One of our friends dropped a phone in a porta porta potty. Oh. Courtney. And, and she got it back, didn't she? She got it back later, and I don't know why you would keep it. But she, <laughs> yeah, she did. <laughs> anyway, that was. That's Japan life. Yeah, you drop your phone in the toilet and the good people of Nippon will recover it for you. I guess they wiped it off at the... <laughs> oh my I, god. I would just burn it. <laughs> There's no smartphone worth like keeping once it's like gone down to the dregs of, you know, 400 Japanese people's shit and piss. During a sake festival. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Like too much. Like the wettest was just oh never mind we do not have to go <laughs> um yeah so every october john does a lovely service for the good people of Tsu out here and shows a fuck ton of horror movies he's got a lovely projector in his house and we've watched a lot of incredible movies together i was Probably just, like a hundred we're getting close i mean actually i'm pretty sure we definitely have at least watched a hundred movies together our letterbox is like logged at like 80 right now but we haven't logged everything yeah i only started doing that you know maybe seven months after we met so there's a lot of movies that i haven't even put in there and we've seen a lot of films together that's right and then like the theater stuff too of course yeah, definitely yeah so i had my first experience watching uh, my favorite movie of the past five years climax we got to watch that together i uh i remember that my uh friend sky bought it for me on uk itunes and then uh <laughs> we had a showing of it just the two of us at your house we watched uh, irreversible another no way movie together as well i fucking love that projector you that have. was a fun night too because we watched it with our friend and it just went over so oddly yeah <laughs> i mean fun. he will never listen to this so <laughs> i'm sure it was yeah. very cute um when uh irreversible a movie featuring graphic depictions of rape that goes on for like you know seven minutes and the movie wrapped up and i have seen it several times i love showing it to straight men because it always rattles their bones but we were like dude like how did you uh how'd you like the movie and he was like well it didn't seem very realistic to me and like both of us were just floored and he was like well you couldn't really see the boobs <laughs> oh yeah a good little christian boy he had that moment yeah. where where it, the acting's so good in that scene, and it's so graphic. And what what would have upset him more is the nudity. Yeah, and that's kind of funny. I know. <laughs> I to us, we were like, "Oh, that's what that's was, what it was." It that's wasn't... what would have tipped the scale <laughs> to make it upsetting. Is yeah. if there was nudity. <laughs> it wasn't the seven minutes of Monica Bellucci getting literally like fucked up the ass. <laughs> like, no, it, it was simply not the uh, grotesque nudity. I, he didn't even mention, like, the poor faggot getting his head bashed in with a fire extinguisher. He was just like, oh, I didn't, there weren't that many boobs. Sweet, sweet Christian American. I mean, yeah. culturally, anyway. But he's fun, too. He so, is a good guy. I mean, he, he's in a movie. Check it out. That is. What's yeah. it called again? Uh, Gehenna. Yeah. Where death lives. And it, it's, it's, got, it's pretty fun. It's, it's sci-fi level. I saw it at the movie store in Nagoya um mm -hmm. I was with Kazu and we were like looking around for movies and I said oh, I know this my friend is in this yeah this is a plug I mean it's got Doug Jones being a creature in there that's big time yeah and uh, Lance Henriksen's got a bit role which is 
that's special yeah i mean <laughs> aliens and you know some of those yeah that makes our friend just like a you know one uh what's it called bacon step away from queen sigourney weaver yeah we, we can link him to people i'm sure yeah uh, yeah, so as I was saying, you show a lot of horror movies because you are one of the most knowledgeable horror movie people I've ever met in my life. And it's been such a pleasure, like, getting to watch all of these movies together because I always get the John commentary sidetrack as well, which is so rich. What are some of your, like, favorite scary movies? Uh, like, that that's that's a tall order, you know. Oh, but I already know what yours is, so. Yeah, you, I mean, you could probably list them off more than me. Halloween. Yeah, I talk about that one a million times. It's it's mainly the ones that scared me when yeah. I was younger, like that got under my skin enough to kind of keep me keep me up at night. And you know, it, it's always you know less is more usually gets me. Yeah, but also the opposite of that, where it's just great practical effects, also yeah. kind of captures my spooky imagination. Yeah, well, we both like uh, garbage horror movies and like trash shit as well. So. 100%. We both we both can kind of get behind like the really, you know, intelligently primal instinct horror movies that are super articulate and well cinematographed and then we can also like go and like watch the most garbage like we did tonight before we watched um Wolf from uh, 1994 uh, starring Michelle Pfeiffer and Jack, Jack Nicholson. Nicholson. Garbage. <laughs> garbage writing. There's nothing interesting in the whole movie. It's like I, I can't even it's so dry and yeah. monotone like everyone's <laughs> acting it's the movie is uh i kind of like it because it has like that um american psycho impulse behind it where it's like oh look at these corporate new yorkers and their secret debasement but it never like really fully realizes the theme so overall flop <laughs> yeah same director as the cape Fear remake and uh, what was the other? Yeah, the he the the one of the Virginia writers. <laughs> yeah, one of the writers wrote the Cape Fear remake, and then the director did one of my all time favorite movies, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Great movie. Yeah, which we also watched together earlier yeah. this year with our friend Chad. <laughs> oh, yeah, he loved. And he it loved it. The, the wife stuff, and yeah, he's yeah. got that married man syndrome. So yeah, it's fun. <laughs> married man syndrome. Yeah. What else have we watched this month? Um. Oh, too much. I think my favorite experience with you this month was probably The Fly. Oh, yeah. You probably haven't seen the the remake, the Cronenberg version. You might, might have seen the sequel. Yeah, because I, I think I may have... that. That's what kind of what we got to, is we I may have seen the sequel. But I, watching that movie, could not handle it. It disgusted me to such a degree. And I've mentioned this before on the show, but like my favorite kind of movie is one where... I have, like, an extreme physical reaction to it, and the fly did that. I was gagging, disgusted. It's so beautifully, like, the the makeup is so beautifully made, and it's so, like, hands-on and detailed that it just, there's no way watching it, it won't get under your skin. It's genius. Yeah, Zach loves to be upset. So, I do. You know, what does that, what does that mean about me? <laughs> I, I do know. love I mean, being upset. I, I, I like it, too, to a degree, you know, I mean... Sometimes it's too much. Like, I don't ever want to watch a movie again. Sometimes it's so upsetting. Yeah, like what? The but Piano like... Teacher and Climax both pissed you off a little bit. Oh, you know what? I really liked both of those movies, too. But they were just... Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely going to watch Climax again. Like, I'll probably increase my rating on that one. That, that movie's a lot of fun, actually, too. 
like the more I think about it, I'm like, I gotta watch it again. Yeah, seeing it again in theaters is like really a privilege. I I, I uh, was very taken aback. I've seen it three times now, and every single time I love it more. So, well, we've been we yeah we've been ra- rambling. Yeah, we've been we chatting. Cover. <laughs> yeah. So today we're talking about um two. Well, it's Halloween, obviously. It's coming up, so I thought that we would celebrate it by uh, talking about two of my favorite horror sequels of all time. I mean, Aliens is up there as well, but it's like an action sequel to Well, them. everyone loves Aliens, and people either hate one of these movies, and the other one they don't know. That's so right. what are we talking about? So I think we're going to start with um, Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. And this is a sequel that has nothing to do with Prom Night. It was just um, developed under its own script. And then because it has a prom moment in it, they kind of just linked them together and released it that way for marketing. Yeah, it feels like they just they bought the rights to to a, something that never became a franchise. Mm-hmm. But they were like, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis was in this semi-okay slasher. Yeah, she was basically just in, um, Jamie Lee Curtis was just in Prom Night, very average slasher movie, and it made enough money that they thought that they could create, you know, some sort of brand with it, and they just threw this poor, unsuspecting script at the franchise, and now here we are. Yeah, the the Canadians. They <laughs> Yes. <laughs> That's right. This we is, learned from Joe Bob. <laughs> yeah, from Joe right. Bob, which uh, who, whom we watch this with first. This is actually like secretly a very uh, Canadian movie, actually. Yeah, I mean, I don't know so much about all of that, but I do know that Michael Ironside is in it, and he's pretty great. He's the the boyfriend grown up as the principal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I guess we better start with like a little bit about the plot. plot. Yes, so... What is it? The fifties or the sixties? I I want to say fifties. Okay, we're just gonna go for fifties, and if yeah, we're wrong, yeah. <laughs> the amount of people who have seen this movie and are listening to this is scant. So, <laughs> like, if they have a bone to pick, like by all means. But yes, it is the uh, late fifties, and Mary Lou is about to be crowned the prom queen, little Miss Promiscuous Mary Lou, and. Um, she gets caught getting handsy with some Chad back in the back behind the set, and her boyfriend decides to pull a nasty little prank on her by dropping a stink bomb on the stage. And oops, he incinerates her. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best like like synopsis i've heard of the opening there yeah oh, oops he incinerates her yeah that's a good way to put it and it's a really delectable little scene in the beginning it's really violent isn't it yeah i remember when we first watched it because i really had no idea what we were going in for and i was like shook by the the fire death that she goes through it's, it's like the end of carrie at the beginning of another movie suddenly <laughs> but exactly with, but she she's already really popular for other reasons yeah yeah so, uh, yeah, she gets uh, scorched, and uh, her soul is then inexplicably bound to some chest in, like, the back <laughs> yeah. of the drama department. Like... Some some creepy basement in the school that, that every school has somehow. I don't know. I, I've never seen a basement like this in a school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was a theater kid, you know. I was I was president of the Thespian Society, and even we didn't have anything that grungy, but... Nonetheless, um, it's prom season again, like uh, 20 years later. It's the roaring 80s. Yeah, yeah. 
And um, the box has been opened by some unsuspecting blonde bimbo with a nice uh, hair. I got the players here. Hold on. Oh, I'd like to hear this. Yeah, her name is Vicky. That's her name, Vicky, Vicky. played by Wendy Lyon. Okay. Hi, Wendy Lyon. Never heard of her again. <laughs> yep, yep. And Lisa, I don't know her last name, but Mary Lou is Lisa Say- Lisa Coudreau. Shape? Shape? <laughs> kidding. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. Vicky. Vicky. Yeah, so Vicky. um our, our lead. <laughs> she's our good Christian girl. She's staying chased with her boyfriend, and she's set out for college, and everything's looking good before the senior prom until she opens this box. And um, over the course of the movie, she slowly gets possessed by the um, ghost of Mary Lou until um, she gets to um, rage her own vengeance at the prom as possessed by Mary Lou. Yeah, that's right. I mean, like, there's a lot of stuff early on, too, that's fun. Like, like Of course. Like her weird friends. She's got some weird friends. Yeah. Yeah, that they have plots that go nowhere but end in some cool deaths. Yes. So um, very early in the movie, we're introduced to this, um, this very 80s figure with massive black hair. You don't have her name written down, do you? I, I don't. She's She's like... abortion girl all of the breakfast club smashed into some kind of compressive machine and born again (laughs) just like flattened into a disc of the 80s she's like yeah the art school girl whatever yeah and she's like oh i'm artsy like i stay after school and work on my sculpture and i'm gonna make my own prom dress and um yeah she uh, is pregnant and they reveal that to us and she doesn't know what to do with the baby and then literally five minutes later they have one of the most elaborate kill scenes in the movie of uh, Mary Lou's angry ghost coming for her. Yeah, it's one of those teasing scenes where you, you, you get like, oh, this is going to happen. Oh, no, wait, this is going to happen. You'll never guess what really happens, but it just keeps going. Well, yeah, <laughs> It's really fun. First, it's like, oh, we're going to cut her head off with a um, the paper, with a paper yeah. cutter. And then after that, it's like, no, we're going to strangle her from the ceiling. And then the it looks like that's how she's really going to go. And then it smash cuts outside, and you're just, like, looking at a window, and you're like, oh, look at this, like, very nice, like, uh, this this, this establishing shot. And then here comes a bitch flying through the window full speed. And then, like, it seemed like her head was severed in a shot anyway somehow. I don't know what the deal was. I didn't notice it the first time we watched it, but then Emily, um, former guest of the pod, pointed it out, and she's like, oh, she did get decapitated. I was like, oh. We were like, wait, that is a head, right? I I don't know, (laughs) but it's... Either way, it's bizarre. Yeah. It's fun. So we kind of summed up the plot of the movie, but I kind of want to get into, like, the the reasons that this is, like, such a huge success for me on, like, an aesthetic level. I think it's not just us. I think this is, like, a smash kind of cult hit in circles where people have realized this is actually a pretty fun, good horror movie. Yeah. Like, I, I would say, I would argue it's every bit as good as the first Nightmare on Elm Street, and it's yeah. in that vein. You know, it totally is. This movie has a lot of underrated artistic credibility to it, I think. Well, there's some practical effects that just match anything from the era, and it's on such a lower budget. It's insane that yeah. they got it to work. I think I can match stuff from this movie with something in Nightmare, like almost every cool effect. Yeah, and... I think what's compelling about this is that, you know, Nightmare obviously has, like, a lot of those compelling, you know, teenage anxiety moments. But for me, Prom Night 2 has a lot of 
really iconic female divas. And it's, uh, I don't know, there's something about, like, the way that these characters inhabit trope and archetype that is very satisfying to, like, my gay nerves. Like, all of these bitchy women, like, just coming through and committing slaughters, and it has all these fucking amazing one-liners that we could never get today, so... And Vicky's very Carrie-esque, you know? Like, yeah. she's... Ex- it's not that extreme, but her family's very kind of uptight, yes. and she's not supposed to be doing these things or whatever. Yeah, so as she gets possessed and she starts getting hornier and more, like, disgusting... She, she has the same almost contemplative, like, lipstick moment. Yes. But it's a little different. Yes, because, uh, of course, we see Carrie um, putting on her lipstick in the movie, but here we see her, like, just full shot of her lips full shot of her and she is painting them she is like mary lou possessing vicky is basically a drag queen and i think that's like my ultimate love for this movie is that it's like a lot of drag queen sensibilities like made in a really authentic and effective horror method yeah 100 percent. like so let's let's go from there like we have that moment and, yeah and we get a little tease at that moment like there's something going on with the rocking horse in her room oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what's going on with that um the rocking horse there, there's no explanation no. for what's going on with let that. me try yeah. so we see that vicky is you know this innocent pure woman you know the rocking horse in a teenage girl's room is like kind of a funny image and then it just turns like into this horny horse that's like like licking its chops and like sticking its tongue like it's like really like disgusting vrow tongue at her <laughs> it's so gross and the eyes are bulging it's got very human eyes and it's fucking creepy man i don't know how else to say it it's gross i remember watching it and was just like oh my god i had no idea something like that was coming and basically from that point once vicky is possessed the kills just step they they start going before we get to that i do want to talk a little bit about craig he's the boyfriend yeah good to know and every time we meet him he's fixing his bike zach pointed that out yeah it's pretty funny (laughs) it's like it's like we see him seven times and five of them he's He's fixing his bike when we meet him. Yeah, like he he's always fixing his motorcycle, and it's very cute that they like ride it together and stuff. But like, here is him outside of his house. He's fixing the bike. Here is him uh, outside of school. He's fixing the bike. It's like okay, we we got the role. Thank you, movie. <laughs> All right, so let's let's get into the meat and potatoes of the effects. Yeah. What's first? Is it the blackboard? Or is it the locker? Oh, One of those is first. The blackboard is first, because right. that's kind of the moment when she gets like fully right. possessed, I think. And there's some weird dream sequences on the way with the that's volleyball right. court. Yes. And the pract- the the sets there are really neat, too, when they make them like covered in that creepy red darkness. It's pretty effective. Right. So she like nods off in class or whatever. It's very Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. And she does this a few times, but there's a part in the classroom, and then... She's in the classroom alone, and it's kind of, it feels kind of outside, but inside. Right. And the blackboard, oh, she's like, in detention, right? Yeah, it's detention. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, because she had a snappy, cunty moment <laughs> at the did. other girl. And she gets sucked into the blackboard by the malevolent force or whatever, yeah. what have you, in this nightmare. And it's really cool. It's very nightmare where they flipped a whole stage and, like, made a pool and then filled it with whatever. I don't know, dye? I don't know what they did. It looked black. Pool, yeah. 
So it looks like she's kind of swimming in the blackboard, and there's letters flowing, floating yeah. around like alphabet soup. And the effect is really convincing to the point that when I first saw this movie and watched it happen, it struck me physically. I like felt it in my gut because, um, like the physicality of that kind of practical effect just like sits like so like heavily in you when you see something like it. CGI has like a really floaty quality to it, so when you get like something so bizarre and viscerally physical mm-hmm. it just like fucking slaps you up the face yeah she was really in a pool it's great <laughs> yeah just like being tossed around drowning and the next effect i i i don't know how they did it really it's great it's fun this is the locker crushing yeah like like the first real stalking of this malevolent spirit right yeah and it's a nude stalking which isn't i've never seen in any other movie no so she, uh, vicky is totally possessed now um in the prior scene uh she totally just shows up at this school in what would be, like, really scandalous, like, 60s garb and is speaking in, like, 60s, 50s jargon just being absurd. And, yeah. That's... <laughs> uh, she delivers uh, – her friend delivers uh, one of the most iconic lines of the film when they're uh, standing together in the locker room. And her friend can't understand why Vicky, as possessed by Mary Lou, is behaving like this. And – Mary Lou just says, oh, well, that's swell. And she says, who even says swell anymore? (laughs) That's right. Yeah. And uh, so at this like weird point of contention, they take a a shower together and like appear to like make up. But then Mary Lou takes it a little too far and starts getting handsy. And then it um, leads into this stalking moment you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. She gets, uh, yeah, she gets, (laughs) she gets definitely too handsy. It's a little sudsy. And then she starts running away through the locker room and it's, it's your first typical kind of slasher moment, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Because this is a possessed person. It's not actually just a ghost. Right. Yeah. And she, uh, she's running through the locker room and it's very foggy and steamy and she jumps in a locker. Yes, and, and then Mary Lou yeah. uses her mysterious powers to simply just crush the locker. Well, well, leading up to that, too, her nails are, like, dragging. Right, and like. while she's doing that, she starts singing Tutti Frutti. Right. And she, she wop, how do you do that? Wop, laba, I don't know how wop, it goes. Wop, laba, do, bop, yeah. bop, bamboo, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that, that whole thing. And when she does the, the final note there, she points at the locker. And all of the lockers crush in on the locker and some Cronenberg ooze comes out of like yes. the, the holes in the locker and it's fantastic. Yeah, it's so like um full of shit. Like it's spam soup. <laughs> I don't know how it's to describe so gross. it. I it's like imagine if there was an earthquake and someone was stuck in a locker. No god. <laughs> the, you know, like they found the body had oozed out through See, the See, that's hole. why they don't have any lockers over here in Japan. It's so funny her reaction and like this like her very good friend like uh, getting handsy with her in the shower like what does she do? She like runs in horror and like hides in a locker. She doesn't know she's like a spirit yet. No. What is going on? She just thinks yeah. she's a dyke and like that's apparently too much. Yeah. What are you right. do? Well, I mean, I don't know. Should we get to like the, the I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that we're skipping over, but I guess the less said, yeah, I maybe mean, we, we haven't mentioned the anything about the fact that, um, what the principal of the school is right. Mary Lou and, and the priest as well. Yeah. So the, the priest is the, the guy she was like hooking up with backstage and then the, the principal is the boyfriend. And so they're both, um, 
kind of realizing that Mary Lou has come back for more. Um, and that's kind of like the beeline plot. It leads to a really good moment. What, you turn into a fag? Is what yeah, she said. yeah, it's a great moment. Any horror movie that has the guts to say fag, I mean, like back then it wasn't the guts. It was just like typical speech. But I just am still so tickled by hearing that word. Like in any movie. Well, I mean, in the movie too, it was like she's from the 60s. So it's even a little wilder. Yeah. Even for the 80s. It's you like, know that yeah. Mary Lou hated the gays. Yeah, so. she, she wasn't about it. No. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, so I guess yeah, it leads up to this um climactic prom scene uh where Mary Lou is uh, you know possessing Vicky and trying to get her come up and and uh here she is at the prom and uh, what happens? Well, the the principal, he tries to to stop things before it gets too far and right. he just shoots Vicky slash Mary Lou. Just shoots her. After she I think she gets the crown or she not. Wins, right? yeah, she because, wins. Uh, and she gets shot and she dies and you think, oh, okay, this is kind of where it's going to end. Mm-hmm. No, then Mary <laughs> Lou comes tearing out of Vicky's body and she is like, when she first emerges, she looks beautiful and like like the prom queen that she was. But then she like begins denigrating into the burnt corpse that she was when she actually died. It's great. It's it's literally alien meets Carrie meets like exorcist yeah. all in one thing. And it's so much fun. Well, that's kind of like what I love this movie for is that it's like so much horror pastiche and it's a lot of, you know, respected techniques being like employed in the genre. But it's done through like this like super campy lens that it just makes it like such a fucking thrill. And yeah, now Vicky's just a shedded snake skin yes. or whatever. And Molten. the real Mary Lou is chasing everyone around as a very powerful spirit, apparently. Mm-hmm. And including i guess being able to make her silhouette just hang in the background because this part <laughs> scared the fucking shit out of me yep where like she chase the chase inevitably leads back to the basement where the chest is yeah. but there's like a stairway with like kind of a chicken net like mesh yeah it's door. Like some mesh door of some sort and like the camera shows the silhouette of mary lou's creature spirit whatever in the the frame of the door at the top of the stairs right. and you're drawn to it because there's a light behind it just yeah. blasting and it focuses on that but you she, really look at it yeah you really you have no choice you, you think it's going to run down the stairs or whatever but instead like a double pops up yeah, in the and foreground it's fucking like i don't know we both are quite accustomed to horror movies and to jump scares so we both get a, a an occasional jolt but even watching this the second time we both literally screamed in horror watching this happen it's the one great jump of the movie and it's it's great every time every time yeah and that kind of concludes the movie is um vicky's proper boyfriend is able to lock her back up in the box but not before we get like this gorgeous algaic moment where she mary lou gets to dance with her date and she gets to be the prom queen she always wanted and then it kind of ends on that you know classic horror movie note of oh things seem fine but there is something wrong here it's exactly a nightmare on elm street at the end yeah it is and there's another movie there's a, a third sequel there's a third installment which i have not seen yet and it Likewise. is about her so maybe next year we'll get to it yeah i don't you can never top this probably i don't it's, think it's so. way too much it's way too much fun yeah i don't know how i mean watching this with you i had no expectations and then coming out of it it immediately became one of my favorite horror movies of all time and easily among the best of any sequels in the genre for me and i was kind of mentioning it earlier but i think it just is because it has so much like respect and attention to 
the conventions of horror filmmaking. Um, but it's channeled through like this hyper lens of trope and cliche that it turns into this over the top, like gay drag queen camp explosion. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I wish this was known as much as like sleepaway camp or some of the ones that are right. in that vein, because honestly, this is the way more entertaining and better movie. Yeah. Cause I mean, sleepaway camp is like kind of trash until like that last reveal. And you know, the reveal is not even like productive of any like lgbt agenda like at least like this movie just fully deals in the cult of fucking diva women and their power any movie that you know i i'm obsessed with carrie as well but any movie that just like shows like sexy young women just like ripping men apart is like immediately gonna get on my aesthetic level yeah i mean mean, this was a great sequel to a a pretty mediocre slash terrible movie yeah you know, the, the Scream Queen era of Jamie Lee Curtis was, you know, faltering out at that point, it I was, feel like. Yeah. Like, what was her terror train? And there's a few others with her. Yeah, and I mean, Jamie Lee is now kind of, like, recognized as one of the, you know, preeminent Scream Queens. Scream Queens. Yeah, Scream Queens. <laughs> Scream Queens. Her but, and her mother. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, by the time that she kind of had started her career, like, a lot of the slashers and stuff were even, like, beginning to become aware of themselves and moving past this. And I think that this sequel is, like, the full capitalization of all of those tropes being built up until they cannot be possibly taken seriously anymore. And they just overfill to, you know, complete puberty disaster in this movie. It's so fucking delicious. I love it. Yeah, and I mean, you know, what's funny is this is very sexual in in tone and mm-hmm. in, in moments, just like another movie that we're gonna talk about. Oh, nice transition, John. Yeah, Yo, and uh, also, I mean, this is a sequel to a very mediocre bad movie, but, but let's talk about one. a sequel to a great horror movie that's not re- given its due respect. Yes. Besides, by the hardcore horror community that all love it, but most people I've talked to hate this movie. Yeah, so um, let's take a quick break and then we're going to get into this fucking amazing movie. <laughs> right, radio. some uh, lemon alcohol for us some mysterious beverage so mm-hmm. uh kampai kampai We're second half yep oh that does taste stronger it's strong but it's well, sweet right it's kind of like a lemon head yeah it is exactly like a lemon head isn't it <laughs> right. yeah Colin gave this to me for my birthday and it's it's been um hmm. it goes right to your head i just felt it just seethe through my body <laughs> yep and i'm there with you yeah, so here we are, and we are about to talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, or Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, depending on like what release you're watching of it, I guess. This is the first sequel to the original from the 70s. This is an 80s movie, yes. not to be confused with any remake sequels, anything, anything like else, that. Yeah, and this to me is the last Texas Chainsaw movie properly. Because uh, Toby Hooper, who did the first one, directed and um, worked on this as well. And it has a lot of, um, well, it doesn't actually have that many people reprising roles. But for me, the spirit is very similar. Well, I think that the dad is the same of the, the bad family. That's the, right. The crazy family. And yeah, I think 
Is that it? I Who? think that is actually it. Because I remember when we Gunnar Hansen isn't time, in it. Yeah. It's someone else playing Leatherface. It's it's a whole thing, right? Yeah. yeah. So yes, this movie, as you mentioned before we broke, mm-hmm. is um really maligned by when it. I mean, when it first released, it bombed and people hated it. And um, even retrospectively, uh, even people who love horror like watch this movie with a lot of disdain. And I can right. understand why because this movie is tonally a at least at first, it appears to be a complete 180 from the original. And for anyone who hasn't seen the original, one, what are you doing? Two, it's um, extremely stark and realistic. Um, yeah, I watched it with a friend last year, and she oh, had yes. to leave. It was too much for her. <laughs> Sweet Sorrel could not make it through it. And what's great is there's not a lot of gore in that movie. Com- no. Contrary to the title and what people think of when they think about it. You you can talk to people about that original and they'll be like, oh yeah, you see that hook go into the back. No, you don't see it. No, you don't. No, 100%. The, the gore in that movie is not present at all. It's really about the psychology of that like extremely absurd, frightening situation that these like normal people get put into. And was, yeah. This movie is much different. It's very it's gorier for sure. Yes. This movie is a lot about like grossness and um, disgust is uh, where a lot of its like horror comes from. And I honestly think that the first is also about like disgust and, you know, repulsion. But the way it pulls off that effect is through a lot of that like slow burn filmmaking and the, you know, climactic scene at the dinner table. Um, And this movie does the same thing where it kind of focuses on that like grotesque angle, but its approach is completely different in that it is a very gaudy, brightly lit, showy, almost like fantastical like approach to the same subject matter. Yeah, it's it's the same movie almost. It hits the same beats but in a whole different manner really. Yeah. Like, like I mean let's let's I mean like right when it starts off it you can tell it's a different thing. Yes. Like like there's these two guys. What are they doing? They're they're driving. And they're, they're going to they're a cr- festival yeah. in Texas to go drinking at, and they're misbehaving, being rowdy boys in the car, as you will. Yeah, they're coked up. They're breaking mailboxes out in the country. They're they're playing chicken with random cars on the road. Yes, and uh, shooting at shit, and they're calling in on their fucking car phone. Yeah, the, the car phone. The car yeah. phone. Yeah. yeah, the car phone. They're calling into the radio station, and um, as they play chicken with one rural truck, it um, dooms their lives. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, this is the longest bridge in history that doesn't look very long when you first see it, number it's like one. a 45 second shot of them on this like single bridge that's like maybe 20 meters long. <laughs> yeah, but they drive on this motherfucker for like 10 minutes, oh, it feels yeah. like. It's really, it's like a, at least two minutes of film, probably more. It's a whole sequence for sure. Yeah, and the truck also, number two, is... The fastest truck to drive in reverse on the planet. <laughs> like, it's going backwards, keeping up with them the whole time. Yes, and um, it leads to this, like, chainsaw moment of uh, who we understand to be Leatherface, I suppose, as uh, he's sawing at the car with his chainsaw, like, mid-driving. And, while wearing a corpse or something. Yeah, while wearing a corpse on him. So when he gets, like, shot, it just, like, shoots the corpse half of him off of him that's, like, dangling off. And the entire sequence is, I'm not going to say, you know, action-oriented, but it's so extremist and over-the-top and, you know, out of this realm as opposed to the original that it is kind of a slap in the face 
to the point that when we first watched this together last year, uh, before we watched it last year, I was like, what the fuck is this? It kind of pissed me off at first because I was like, what is this gaudy Hollywood bullshit in comparison to the like stark realism of the first? Right, exactly. Like we're watching this and it's just bizarro land. You're like, yes. okay, this is the same director, really? The guy who did Poltergeist? It, and- <laughs> it's shocking that it's the same director, because the approach is that different. You know, it's a lot of handheld, quiet filmmaking in the first. And then here it's very practiced, well-made, oriented shots um, of this choreographed action and destruction. Um, it's just a, it's an about face, to say the least. Yeah, and I mean, the important part about that scene, too, is they're on the radio live, oh, and course. the phone's recording, and that, that leads into what gets our, our lead into our the heroine, wholeness. Our, our final heroine. girl, the ultimate final girl. I, I would say, like, top five easily, That and why isn't she mentioned more? Yeah, I mean, number one, she has a look. Okay, um, her name is Stretch. She's DJ Stretch. She, DJ Stretch, played by Caroline Williams. That's right, and she is um a, a radio host in this fucking Texas spot. This random building in the middle of nowhere with yeah. some tumbleweeds. They yeah. have a radio station. <laughs> yep. I don't know what's sure, going on. Sure, like whatever. And yeah, she gets this call in. It kind of um radicalizes her, and she realizes about like this um deep-set horror lurking in the South where she kind of decides to take action on it. And she, um, by request of a, what, not a sheriff, but he's a... Uh, uh, lefty. He's, lefty. He's, okay, so this is the only tie back into the original right. is Lefty. Apparently he's related to the the wheelchair guy who died in the first one and the girl who got away. But this is how I, I assume, I don't know what they're sure. going for, but this is my take on it is... These, the crazy family you see Leatherface at the end of the first movie spinning around, and she got away. Yeah. Now, obviously, she didn't just sit on her, her ass on this. She she let people know. Right. They probably found the house, but these people got away, and that's why they're in this new place. Yes, and this... um. Uh, police officer detective figure i don't i don't really know what his job is some angry partisan person in the matter it's dennis hopper and it's his niece who got away or whatever was in in this movie they say that she died i don't understand but yeah, <laughs> anyway it's revenge that's why he's there yes and so he kind of employs our good girl stretch to kind of um put the word out and try to get people aware of the problem um, but in doing that, it only summons this family to the radio station. Right. I mean, at first he didn't want anything to do with her. She showed up at, like, a hotel room or something, and That's he right. was like, get out of here with your bullshit. I don't, whatever. But later he comes to his senses, and he's like, oh, maybe you didn't hear the killing or whatever it was. And then he gets activated onto this really hyper-masculine revenge narrative where he goes chainsaw shopping. And, One uh, of the best scenes in horror history absolutely. is Dennis Hopper chainsaw shopping you gotta see him yeah he just is taking the chainsaw and when he gets to try it out on the tree outside as i he guess you get to do, it. <laughs> as I, get, I suppose you get to do it some fucking chainsaw store never been to one so i can't say but yeah he just is fucking going like martial arts with that goddamn chainsaw it's a store that only has chainsaws it's just full of them walls of them and here he goes out and they got this log out front that you can cut into to practice yep so yeah, he uh, is on his masculine revenge journey, and here's our good friend Lefty at the sorry, our good friend Stretch at the radio station when uh, a figure shows up. 
Oh boy, and what a figure! Well, first her friend LG is there. Yeah, I think it's LG, right? Yeah, yeah the I other the out. other uh, radio LG, dude. LG, yeah, he's her her good friend who has one of the most gruesome deaths later. Yeah, but so he he leaves and she's alone in the station and she's kind of wrapping up for the night and she walks out this this kind of back door this this station we get really intimate with this station yeah too. we kind of know it's where really, each door goes it's really subtly photographed by hooper where we get to see like the where the layout is like where the stairs are where the recording booth is like how one room leads into another and so when it leads up to this scene the audience kind of sublimity has like a really strong understanding of the layout that's right, and then we we she opens the door and we meet Bill uh, Mosley. It's a early role for him, I believe, one of the Devil's Rejects. That's right, and uh, he plays Chop Top. Uh-huh. and I don't understand. I'm not a hundred. I'm not big on the series, so I don't know all the stuff. I I'm guessing he's the cut hand guy in the family. Yeah, I I think so too. He he feels like it because he's skinny, and it makes sense because that's how many of them there were. But if he's not, whatever. <laughs> and know, uh, as he enters bias. the radio station, he has a uh, wire hanger. No wire hangers. And uh, <laughs> he lights it up with a lighter, then picks at his head and then eats it off the end of that fucking wire hanger. Uh, and you don't really know what he's doing first because he's got a wig. You don't really understand what he's what's got that going Sonny Bono wig. Yeah. yeah, you're like and he's. He's like, I'm just a big fan. He's like a very 70s hippie in like this 80s layout. He's like, I, I want to make a request. And she's like, okay, this guy's weird. So this guy's totally weird. And you can feel it. Like she she doesn't want, she wants to get out of there or like mm-hmm. get this guy out of there, whatever comes yeah, well, first. I think it's a familiar American experience to be like confronted by someone like so disgusting and unfamiliar to you and like vaguely homeless it's like a class fear that a lot of americans have i think right right so she's like i'm just gonna give you a tour (laughs) and she starts showing him just random shit she's like this is the frog (laughs) yeah like look at the stuff that we use on our radio show these characters or whatever the blah 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 sound effect stuff and it leads to another scare, like the one in mary lou that also fucked me up when we watched even for the second time yes uh, yeah yeah, I mean, she's uh, wandering past the desk, and there's, like, a, a room behind her, and then here comes Leatherface with a chainsaw! Yeah, well, like, it builds up to it, too, because, like, you, you just see kind of a black doorway, and you don't think he's there. No. You, you're just so invested in Bill Mosley's great acting for this character. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, look at this sign, exit, E-X-I-T. It's like... You're just like, get the fuck out of here. Please leave. And the scene just goes, it drags on in the best way. Like, every single second he's there as he's, like, eating his, like, skin flesh off of his, like, head is even more and more disgusting and just so aggravating and frustrating for every single second so that when Leatherface (laughs) pops up, you are jolted. Yeah, I don't remember the line, but he says something like, I want a request or something from, like, in what's in, it's like the backlog or whatever in the room, and the light turns on, and the chainsaw's rev is already ready, Yep. which you can't really do, but they did it so well. Yeah, it was perfect. And he comes charging out of the room with the chainsaw, and it's one of the better jumps I've ever experienced. It's great. And um, he chases um, Stretch. Stretch, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to say Vicky, but that was the last one. That's movie. right. <laughs> yeah, he, stretch, he stretches Stretch. He chases Stretch down the hallway back into the radio booth where then he chainsaws at her pussy. It's so good. Because, I mean, 
I think in the original Texas Chainsaw, there's a lot of underlying sexual themes that don't like really get, you know, pronounced to the degree that they do here. But well, most then, of it's through Leatherface in the original. That's right. Yeah, because yeah. he like sucks on her fingers and stuff, and is like really. And he does makeup on some of the faces, and and I mean, whatnot. there's the whole fact that he like appears like vaguely like gender disoriented, you know, which is a popular fear from late 20th century horror movies where. Oh my god, this man is kind of dressed like a woman. How frightening. And then here it is, it's like him using his chainsaw as a dick trying to like penetrate her. But he keeps stopping. Oh my god, that scene's so tense too. So tense. Because you can really see, especially after watching that first sequence with the the car accident, you know, you can really see her just like getting her pussy ripped up by this chainsaw because like why wouldn't they after seeing something like that? And also like with this this character, it's not a Laurie Strode. Like we don't know she's going to be the final girl. No, because I mean she was introduced only simply as like the radio DJ, so she could be absolutely any figure in this film. So yeah, there's he could a lot of crank tension. that up and just rip that JJ apart. Yeah, like, just what? tear that pussy up, girl. Yeah. But um, he doesn't because she tries to express empathy to him and tries to understand him. And it leads to one of the uh, surreal through lines of the movie, which is that Leatherface has like a kind of a romantic interest in our good friend Stretch. It doesn't even have to be like romantic, I don't think. It's mm. almost like she just treats him like a human when you see how the family treats him. is like, right. like they're supposed to love him more than anyone, but he's like the dog. He does the dirty yes, work exactly. of all the cutting and the... And their relationship yeah. is really primordial too. It's like a very creepy, like um, it's like boiling down like all these like sexual like familial desires like into the most like simplistic, like kind of um. Let me not get canceled. I was gonna say an inappropriate word. It's like just boiling them down to a level that is um so base that watching it is really uncomfortable, especially when he like raises the chainsaw above his head and does that little wiggle dance. You know what I'm talking about? He does about? it all the time in this. It's weird. It's yeah. Fun. It's very sexual, I think, and it, it made me very... I remember watching it for the first time, and every single time I saw him do that, I always like cringed and was like, ew! I, and like, if I may jump ahead way too far, but we'll go By back, is, is when she's cornered by the whole family in one moment. Mm-hmm. But if you watch it closely, she keeps looking at Leatherface as like uh, an escape route almost. Like, please help mm-hmm. me because they don't give a shit about me. Yeah, it's a testimony I'm, to her performance too. Like, yeah. She's really like in the character for it. It's amazing to me. Like, I'm food for this family, but maybe to the scary villain of this whole franchise, he might be my savior. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. So I guess uh, where this radio scene ends up is that she gets spared by Leatherface and they return back to their home dungeon and she follows. And um, as it happens, so does uh, good Sheriff Lefty. And um, as he's trying to stop her or like get her, she uh, falls down a tripwire and goes down a literal slide into their dungeon base, basically. Oh, definitely, and I mean, not not the same can be said for a poor LG who was beaten to death, but he's still alive somehow. <laughs> yeah, he he got like fucked up. Yeah, he got fucked up in the the radio studio before yeah. we got to this point. But, but they they dragged him out, and um, she goes to chase after them, and then falls down this literal slide. It's great, yeah. And it sounds kind of funny, and it is funny, but it's so 
shocking like in the pretense of this movie that like watching her like go down this like bone cob like cobweb ridden slide it's so perfect i felt like she was gonna meet the goonies in there it's great yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, I can't describe it better than that it's so out of this world weird and this is the introduction to their new lair. And, yeah. and like before the slide, they're like in this tunnel of like, I don't know, bone. Yes. Like it's like, I forget what it's like. Texas Battlelands. Texas or something. Battleland. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's some weird. It looks like it used to be a theme park or something or a yes. place where maybe they did Civil War reenactments, something like that. Well, in any case, it's a place of absolute extremity. And yeah. I think that's it's perfect for the, the film the filmic tone here because all of this excess and ridiculousness like really matches the eighties in comparison to like the seventies when they were first trying to, you know, depict this decay of Americana that I think they were in the first movie. But here they blow it up to a literal theme park (laughs) level. So she has to go down a slide. She basically is like on a roller coaster in this fucking theme park. It's nuts. Oh, it's, it's totally nuts. Like, like in this place, it it's like the polar opposite of the first movie, where it's like very base. It's just yeah. like a farmhouse. It's grungy. It's dim. It feels almost like I I don't know, like a documentary style. Exactly. No, I, it's it's very film verite, as they say. Yeah, and and now we're 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 just kind of delved into this, like I, it's like a theme park of lights in suspension bridges in random body parts like the original right but now they're all lit up with christmas it's like (laughs) it's the nightmare before christmas and this is something that i've noticed every time we've watched this together which is that like the sets are extraordinary in this movie they they have like a depth and size to them that is you cannot clock like where it the the set ends and like where like the backdrop begins it is impenetrably massive this is the real house of a thousand corpses literally i mean everywhere you look in this movie there is a dead body as soon as she's entered their lair and uh she quickly kind of ends up like in the butchering room but um oh god that scene yes (laughs) this scene which uh we just we gotta go into it the butchering scene Oh, it's it's so disturbing. It's probably in in oh man, my poor girlfriend came over in I the was middle of this scene. Your girlfriend, your girlfriend who we're, hates we're, scary movies. We're 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 building her into scary movies over this this October, and she's she's been on board and, and doing well. We, you know, I what was the scariest thing I've watched. We watched the Changeling, an old ghost movie movie with George C. Scott. It's, yeah, it's spooky, but it's nothing like this. And she came over for the last gruesome bits of this movie well we thought that she wasn't she wasn't going to come in until the last like 10 minutes and then she came up for half of the movie and where she arrived was during one of the most visceral scenes it's so like like people talk about one of the new ones about this part where like a girl's hiding under a desk and the boyfriend's getting cut up above her and how gruesome this was well well how about your best friend is basically already dead skinned and they've taken his face off, but to hide you from the rest of the family, he puts the face on her. And then dances with her. It's such a cruel joke on the audience and like to watch that happen because, 
you know, the the campy vibe of like the first like what forty minutes at this point, you know, it it kind of betrays like a silliness and lightness. But then you have to like realize that ridiculous camp in that same moment and watch her dance around with her dead friend's face on her, and it is, it's a lot. In it's Tom Savini shit, so it looks good. It looks really good. It's it really hits home like like. Oh, and then the worst part is it's not even like, okay, so that's already bad enough. (laughs) And then he's still kicking somehow. He's alive. You're like, oh, my God. He's still fucking alive. He doesn't have a face. So he's looking at his, like, own face on his friend. He's like, do do it. You have to do it. Do it for me. And, uh, yeah, it it is. And – you know, a lot of, like, this kind of violence I find in movies is, like, really cheap and cruel. But, I mean, the this franchise has already set itself out to be cheap and cruel. So when it just, like, you know, raises the level, it's a really disgusting, awful moment. And I, I loved the experience of seeing it. Meanwhile, Lefty's running around with his chainsaws oh, trying yeah. to find her. He's trying to, like, simultaneously find her, kill the family, and just break down the entire base. So he just is, like, sawing with his chainsaw at, like, the support beams of yeah, this Yeah, let's talk place. about his journey a little bit, because it's pretty weird, too, when he gets down there. Yeah. Because he, he's, like, the cartoon character in this whole thing, almost. Absolutely. But, like, he finds a wall that's bleeding at one point and, like, starts cutting it up and, like... It just loses guts on yeah, the floor. Yeah, loses guts and body parts or whatever. Yeah. And it, I can't even describe my feelings with this whole thing. It's too much. Well, all of the practical effects on the gore there are really good, too. So when all that, like, gunk is, like, coming out of the wall, you're like, oh, yes. Like, it really would look like that. It's so nasty. And then we lead to, like, our Star Wars showdown when Lefty finds him finally. I don't oh, yeah. remember. There's a great line when he enters. I forget what it is. Yes, um, but um, for, like, the rest of the movie, she's kind of running away. She gets caught. She uh, eventually gets tied up at the dinner scene in a very purposely reminiscent moment from the first movie. It's it's pretty much the same moment. Yes. Yeah, everyone show. You know what I like about the family? They show up in, like, like well, the the dad's kind of the same, but, like, it's like the two sons or whatever show up and they always dress a little different. Like they got a little bow tie or something. Yeah. It's like, Oh, it's They're time for, for dinner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a funny little touch. Well, that's but... like a, you know, I didn't really realize this until I was, uh, uh, I was talking with a, a man I used to date and we were kind of talking about the, um, Japanese dining experience with your family. And like the American one is really different, you know, like, the idea of sitting down with your family to eat and having a conversation with dinner and like being, you know, well presented. I never did that, but um, lots of people did and have. So like the parody of it from the 80s, you know, right when um, that culture was kind of corrupting and dying out really quickly. Um, I think it's really resonant. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, 100 percent. It's. And, you know, you got to bring the whole family out. You got grandpa. You Grandpa's got grandpa. still there. He's How long is this after the first movie? Ten years. Like, he looked like a skeleton in the first movie. What is this? Is They have cannibalism is immortality, everyone. I mean, we found it. Don't knock it till you try it. Yeah. Uh, sidebar. Do you know that, like, right now on Twitter, there's, like, a lot of, like, cannibal discourse? Like, I didn't know that. People, I... people are really trying to make, like, an argument about, like, oh, well, like, people can eat other people because 
there's no actual harm to it. You're just being a moralist monster. I'm like, oh my god, if you have the time to discuss cannibalism seriously, like, you need to get a fucking job. Hey, when's your chili cook-offs, and according to this movie? <laughs> Which we even feel, I mean, we've we been forgot getting about into, that. We've like, been getting <laughs> into this movie, and we didn't even mention the fact that they, like, served human meat at the chili contest and won. Another iconic Americana moment. Yeah, and they found, like, a nail in, or something, I don't remember what it was, it was a like body part. Yeah. And he, like, grabbed it real quick. He's all, it's like, it's one of those corn nuts or that's how I feel like Kyushoku when I'm like eating like, the miso tofu and like there's something kind of stiff in it. I'm like, Iwashi or Shishimo. Yeah, I'm like, oh, it's the secret ingredient. Those fucking corn nuts, man. Yeah. yeah so um, our good friend Stretch is at the dinner table and um, the uh, she's about to be served for dinner. So they try to get the uh grandfather to kill her with the, the hammer same exact thing yeah and and uh this one goes on even longer than the first yeah one it's did. it's pretty disturbing here grandpa gets some good wax i think she's like knocked out almost she is she's like yeah. kind of like convulsing on the bucket at one point it's really gross to watch and then dennis hopper comes in to save the day with a chainsaw like with a lightsaber three, with three chainsaws oh, he's yeah. got one giant one he's ready and he's got two holstered to his sides. How heavy that must be. Not heavy enough to stop Dennis, Dennis Hopper. Hopper. Yeah. So this movie then just like explodes into like the perfect climax of Chainsaw Battle Royale. Americana explosion death fantasy. Like watching them like duke it out with these uh, chainsaws on the table. And it's just stupid enough that like if you weren't watching with a discerning eye, you might be able to dismiss the whole movie as being garbage. But like it's very clearly a parody, I think, in a lot of ways, don't you? Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you. I mean, you could play the Phantom Menace music over this like <gasps> last scene. You know, did, why did, has did, no did, one done it? <laughs> like it's so ridiculous that you know it. It shouldn't be taken a hundred percent seriously. But some stuff in it is too good not to. Yeah, because well. I mean, it's well made and it, it's thrilling when it's like the chainsaws break and they stop and like they're they're thrown into different areas. It, it is it's really quite an amazing like action sequence. And then and then Chop Top gets away from the whole mess, and the dad blows everything up with a grenade. And Chop Top yeah. is the final chase with our final girl, and it's great. And oh. it's. And he's the one that you believe just wants to kill anything. It's great. Yeah. He's, yeah, the, there's like a suspension bridge. It's like, it's well, like a you playground. Know, we we of mentioned macabre. that this whole place is like a, yeah, a playground of macabre is an amazing way to describe it. But like, it's, it's, you know, this theme park that we mentioned before. And she has to like summit this like mountain on the theme park. And she's climbing up these like broken down stairs. And she's getting chopped at with a knife. Yeah, every... he's got, like, his little scalpel, like, from the yes. first movie. It looks like that, yes. whatever it is. And every time she gets cut, it hurt me. It really, I, I think I have a specific aversion to knives, like, from high school trauma or something. But, like, watching it happen is really intense. Yeah, and in the top of the mountain, there's, like, the, the mom of the yes, family the great enshrined. mother. The, the mother of the whole family, and she's enshrined with a chainsaw, with which our good friend stretch rips it from her body and then threatens it at um chop, chop top, top. Yeah. yeah he topples down the stairs um and then into a hole perhaps leaving room for a sequel well, well but... before that happens he's cutting the fuck out oh, of her because the... she can't it's great because she's cranking the chainsaw and it won't start because it's an old dusty one right <laughs> and he's just slashing her whole body up and you just feel each 
slash. Well, you know that that last moment in the the left the Last of Us when you have to cut up Abby, right? It's a similar sensation where you really just hate watching every single cut of the blade. It's oh, visceral. Shudder. Yeah, she gets that chainsaw up and it hits, gets him in the stomach, and there he goes down the stairs, toppling down. And then what do we get? I mean, you could imagine anything coming from this. Like she puts the chainsaw down and like leaves in peace, like knowing that the va- the evil is vanquished. No, no, <laughs> she raises the chainsaw, starts turning around, and screams. It's it's Leatherface at the end of the first movie, but, uh, but now the final girl is exactly. enacting it. Yeah. And I think this is, like, the total, like, thematic summation of this whole franchise is that Americana leads to this rampant, absurd, fantastic violence. And you can be the villain or the heroine, and you are going to be the one putting the chainsaw above your head, spinning and screaming. I really think that these two movies are about the exact same thing. I think they have the exact same theme and the exact same idea. It's a great double feature. It is. But this one does it in the 80s approach, whereas the first one does it in, like, the 70s one. I mean, they're both 80s movies, but they're they're kind of a different feel. Is the first Texas Chainsaw in the 80s? Oh, no, sorry, sorry, yeah, the 80s. It's the 70s, you're right. I thought so. I would have been shook, but... I'm drunk and I'm mixing up what we were talking about, the yeah. first movie of the podcast. I mean, I have yeah. I am so drunk at this point, I have no idea what I've said for the last 15 minutes. But yeah, minutes, yeah, the first so. <laughs> movie is 74. Yeah. It sounds about right. And, I yeah, like, it, it, I think the, the, the first statement that that movie is making, the first one, is that... You know, the culture of America is in crisis. Like, we're giving into a populism, and the world is really quickly dying, and it leads to these absurd moments of, you know, um, kind of like rural American life elevated to these horror standards. We're eating each other alive. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like every, like American culture is like nothing but chainsaws, murder, and cannibalism, which, you know, sounds about right. And then this movie has the exact... Gotta get your rifle. <laughs> yeah, you gotta get that fucking gun. Like, get your chainsaw, girl. Like, yeah. we gotta make the militia. Second Amendment tea. <laughs> 100%, yeah. And then this movie does the same thing, but it just blows it up in the most visually... Oh, we're good. Um, In the most visually extremist fashion. And um, in the same way that I love Mary Lou for its, like total commitment to camp and trope i think that this does the same thing whereas like the first one that kind of made a lot of the tropes right right yeah i don't know what to say there i know this this movie just fucking slays me and i i we both watch this and we're kind of like not sure you know i watched the the texas chainsaw massacre part two when i was like 16 or 17 yeah. and i thought it was a piece of shit but i was so about getting scared that i couldn't appreciate all the other parts of horror mm-hmm. that you know revisiting it really enlightened me and was like oh this is actually a great horror film especially like having gained an appreciation for like trash cinema as yeah. well because it I has can, a lot of those aesthetics in it too. yeah yeah you can really dig the production design and you know, even even the bad parts of it are just so bad they're good in this one with like Dennis Hopper cutting the tree and the chainsaw art and all yeah. this stuff. It's and Toby it's Hooper is you know very clearly a smart man. Like he he really like knew what he was doing with this, 
And I mean, like the marketing campaign behind it where they advertised it with like a mock-up of the Breakfast Club poster. Yeah, it should have given it away, but of course people couldn't catch on back then. And it's before I was born, so I have no say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I was in the 80s, I would be much more concerned with cocaine than like the state of America. <laughs> right. So like, where's my next bump coming from? I do not care about like the thematic purpose of this movie. <laughs> oh, uh, John's going to go pee. John is back from peeing. He described oh, yeah. his uh, peeing experience as removing two beers from his body. Yeah, it was a good 30-second stream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it just kept coming. This yep, is the this is the, the true sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is peeing your beers out in a Japanese apartment in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it makes <laughs> no sense, but it's funny. Yeah, yeah I mean... I love this movie. I think it's vastly underrated, and um, every time I watch it, it grasps me by my shoulders and shakes me to my core. Yeah, I, there, there's there's a few movies out there, and and a few there's even one more Toby Hooper movie that I like a little more when I see it. It's uh, called The Fun House. Oh yeah, you told me you watched. It. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I mean it's not near as as good as this, but it's another like underrated movie that's got some like really creepy aesthetic and Mm -hmm. and really disturbing things going on yeah but yeah this this movie needs to be seen more this movie needs to be seen by anyone who has like an interest in cinema or anyone who has like um an awareness of a camp and the way that like trope progresses over time i think this movie is very like postmodernly ahead of the game in the way that it like describes its like own franchise and i mean it took they 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 made this movie 10 years after and in that distance they were able to really like pronounce and understand a lot of like the original themes in a new way so yeah i think this movie is fucking amazing so yeah like like people you know love all the friday the 13th movies and pretty much all of those are garbage and this yeah. movie's way more entertaining than most of those well the other thing is that until new nightmare i don't think friday was ever oh like... that's that's nightmare on Elm street but oh wait oh my god my drunk brain just like slopped yeah, together yeah. several franchises no but, you know friday know the 13th has never been postmodern. it has never been able to understand itself but nightmare has been able to oh yeah that. totally yeah. totally yeah no, not Friday the Thirteenth. I mean, I like the aesthetic of that franchise. I mean, I, it, it's a oh, that franchise is a blast. It's fun. Yeah, if you like trash movies, like like I mean, I would say my favorite in that one is Part Four. Yeah, but I like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two more than part any four Friday of the Thirteenth yeah. movie. Any Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. yeah, like this movie is just out out of this world bizarre yeah well um before we leave i'd like to wish everybody a happy halloween and i think horror is important don't you oh absolutely like without horror i wouldn't be who i am no me too i feel like you know it's it's weird to say but horror really helps me deal with anxiety which is weird it's like no you've mentioned this before i think you're totally right yeah it's like almost like getting it out through watching like like yeah. i watched a couple thrillers by myself on saturday night new 2020 movies and mm-hmm. it was one had me jumping out of my pants and one was kind of frustrating and disturbing yeah. and 
after it was like I didn't care about COVID so much. You know what I mean? Like I was like, oh yeah, the world's ending, but what are you gonna do? We're we're all warm meat, whatever. No, but I, I really do think that horror does an amazing work in that because it doesn't have like the you know moral rules and extrapolations on top of it it's it's much more capable of being able to talk about the human experience in like raw and visceral language so i completely agree i think people who like horror are healthier it sounds weird it sounds no like no I, I agree i feel like we're healthier than people who can't handle it in a weird oh, this get is into controversial the get into the tea let's go it's it's because if i feel like i can deal with the number one like emotion of yeah. fear yeah because horror in a healthy way horror is all about extremity it's all about having to stomach the most intense parts of what could possibly be the human experience you know and you know we have lots of friends who are like i can't watch horror movies and like well just learn to watch them like just just learn to because they're not gonna kill you it's like the only and thing that's it's the gonna, point. They're not going to kill you. They're not going to kill you. The worst it's going to do is it's going to expose you to a really violent emotion. And um, I don't think Sora listens to this, but if she does, she can fight me about this later. But, like, I showed them anti-porno as well, you know? And she's like, I would never want to watch this again because, like, you know, the feeling is too intense. But, like, what is the point of art if it isn't an intense feeling? Like, if it isn't, like, making you question, like, your role in the world or, like, informing you about it or you know, providing something for it. Like, what is it all for? Like, art for just, like, airless aesthetic space is just worthless to me. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to my favorite horror movies. Like, like it's fun when you realize, oh, no one's really coming for me yeah. tonight. And I've been conjuring this intense emotion right. throughout, like, three years of my childhood or whatever. And then you once you realize, oh, I, I want to understand more why that was so effective on me, you know. Like, no, you're, you're making a really important point because, like, once you watch a horror movie and you start identifying, like, these cycles of stories and everything, you begin to kind of recognize more about, like, your day-to-day -day reality, I think. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Like, and the funny thing is, is when you really get down to the end of, like, this terror terrible movie where these terrible things happened mm -hmm. with these gruesome effects and faces getting cut off and put on people we care about and all this stuff <laughs> yeah of, it's it's not as scary as like the things that we're really dealing with right when you break it down and if you can deal with the fucking stupid scary movie and get over it there's nothing in this world that can make you go i just want to end it yeah you know and I don't know, I, I think that horror is honestly one of the most articulate genres about our experience because it doesn't have any of like the moral rules on it. So, and um, even when it gets to that like trash layer, which is, you know, you know, potentially Hello, Mary Lou Prom Night 2, potentially a, a garbage trash movie. But even when it gets to that layer, you know, the the trope and like the history of like where these movies come from is so strong that like there's no way that you can't watch these movies and like miss the opportunity to kind of confront yourself or the way that you understand things. So thank you for showing me more horror and watching with me every October. John is honestly one of my personal heroes, and when I started this podcast, I knew that this was going to have to happen. An episode was essential, so thank you for coming on the show, John. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. It's yeah. Fun. Let's see. Some housekeeping. 
Um, new episode of uh, Gang Bang with my friend David <laughs> is going to come out. This is um, our new like pop cultural commentary podcast where we kind of talk about, I don't know, less serious topics. We described it as the Wendy Williams to the I'm So Popular Oprah show. Uh, my issue for November is out. It's themed after suffering. John has seen it. Did you read it? Not yet. No, it's, it's, it's my when I don't have a class reads. Do you take it with you to school? Yeah. Oh, fierce. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I wrote about Mishima and Caravaggio. And it's my bookmark in my Mishima book right now, actually. Oh, so that's oh kind of funny. It's fitting that yeah. whenever you have to like get like a, that vision of uh, Mishima, like in his beautiful body, you can just flip to the zine. I have several pictures of him in it. So. And then, um, let's see. Okay, next week is the election, as we all know. Um, and if you're being stupid and not watching horror movies and are actually paying attention to the ridiculous, like, stupid state of the country, then there will be an episode. Uh, I'm going to talk to my friend Miles, and we're going to discuss the election. So tune into that next Wednesday. And, oh, I almost forgot. The, uh... Monthly episode of I'm Not Popular, my solo show, is coming out on uh, Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, it's Saturday that I do that. So I don't know. I haven't really done it yet or figured out what I'm going to talk about. But I'll be there. So, yeah. Thank you, John. Yeah. You're welcome. Let's, let's do it again. Let's <laughs> yeah, you do will it be again. back. You will be back. All right, everybody. Ja. Mata ne. Yeah, mata ne. Mata ne.